This is Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most beloved fantasy series, as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Sam and Anna Furman. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is our second episode covering The Treasure of Lorev with the author himself, Brian Asher. Before we get into it, we're going to go over a brief summary of some of the events that transpire in this episode. So this episode covers chapters 8 through 13. It opens up with Damon, our ever-sinister villain, converting Nathan, who he found at a bar. We're not 100% sure yet the importance of Nathan's character as well as Nathan's friends. So Damon is slowly growing his collective and gathering supporters. And we get some really interesting insight with Nathan. He is very cyberpunk vampire vibes. It reminds me of the movie Aeon Flux or Underworld kind of vibe. The threat is growing. Damon is expanding his collective. And with his next lieutenant here, Nathan, we see the ever-present danger growing. On the flip side, Kana, Jared, and Gilman have begrudgingly made a little trio of heroes. And in this episode, they go to meet one of Kana's contacts, a man named Sanzo, who they hope will tell them where the first merge is that will pair with the personal station they found in the previous episode. They go to Sanzo, who's a very wealthy man who lives on a fancy resort island, and he directs them where to go to find the merge because it's been in keeping with him from Kana's grandfather. So we're seeing the larger picture grow with this network of people. And he sends them at the end of this episode to the Eastern outskirts. So our characters are receiving the first clue of their scavenger hunt adventure. Meanwhile, Nathan is also heading to the same location of the Eastern outskirts to intercept them. Because again, since he is part of Damon's collective, he's receiving information. So our characters are diverging towards a conflict, and I'm excited to see what happens in this episode covering The Treasure of Lorev by Brian Asher. So, since last time we had let off, jumped in with um, the Damon side of things, and it got pretty intense quickly. Oh yeah, he's building his like hive mind collective. Yeah. Which is so creepy. <laughs> it's creepy, but you know what? He, where you sometimes get insight on villains that have lost their way with their ambitions and like they're way too far on the extreme end for you to really empathize with them. I feel like with Damon, there's all these little snippets that you're like, oh, he's on the right track, but he's just too far gone. So, for example, when he's at this like edgy nightclub, <laughs> and he's getting his drinks and he's looking around and he sees um, the trio of those cyber vampires, Nathan, Dorian and Hunter, you know, trying to hang out and get their drink on. Yeah. He was saying how their technology could be applied for healthcare and be a really beneficial technology. And so obviously the scene progresses and we get a completely different interaction, but we have these moments with Damon where he's so caught up in his conquest that he has lost like the real ambition. I don't know. I don't think he's lost it at all. I feel like he's trying to like create like a better future and I feel like that's admirable. 
Like every time you like see someone or he's observing, because he's very like robotic, obviously, because he is like half Android now. He's just like analyzing what people are doing and seeing the technology they have and the progressions they've made and thinking how he could use that in a better way to help more people. And I don't think that's a I really don't think that's bad at all when it comes down to like the sentiment of it. No. How he's doing it is terrible. <laughs> but I feel like that's what makes it a compelling villain. Yeah. It's like he's he wants to help. It reminds me of remember that movie we saw where Johnny Depp like died and uploaded his brain to a computer? Oh, and it was real. Oh, what was that? it? was a really strange Was that the one called I think it was called Her or something like that? Yeah, it was something like that. So he uploads his brain to a computer and then like basically is still alive as technology and pulls all human knowledge that's been uploaded to the internet and everything to fix everybody's problems. Like he solves a bunch of medical problems and everything. Somehow he starts like controlling things in the world. Like he starts controlling the weather and stuff. I don't really remember. But the whole time he's like trying to talk to his wife and his wife is convinced that it's not really him. Like it's just like a computer version of him or or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And it turns out in the end, she was wrong and he was doing all this good stuff. And it was not, I don't know. I don't really remember how it ended, but I think it was one of those things where you're convinced that like technology is not always the answer. And then in that movie, they showed like how it could be good. Yeah. And he did help everyone with it. In that case, and it's same for here, you have to like relinquish control to one person. Yeah. And as soon as that one person gets corrupted it's ruined yeah yeah super risky (laughs) (laughs) it is very risky it's very risky yeah yeah one thing i really enjoyed and wanted to touch on was like with the cyber vampire bar and like aesthetic it definitely speaks to the underworld franchise and like (laughs) aeon flux like that like early mid 2000s underground grunge like leather vibe that's just so endearing to me so i was really enjoying (laughs) that opening layout (laughs) <laughs> awesome i feel like i definitely saw a lot of similar bars in alias that tv show yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. alias blade all the good stuff yeah <laughs> so oh that's so good i liked their their whole vibe so i think my understanding is that they have like implanted things and so now they have claws and fangs like the vampires on Moncroy. so mm-hmm. they're like technology vampires yeah they're like cybernetic vampires yeah that's really interesting. So, yeah, when Damon comes across them, they're drinking blood from a Hakuri. And is it to absorb its powers? Is that how that works? Yeah. So what it, from uh, that chapter, like they have like this blood that they think is going to be like, it's going to help them. It's going to give them a really awesome high and it's going to give them all these powers. And when Damon like tries it, because they don't, he tries it and basically is like, yeah, this isn't actually what you think. It's just a bunch of chemicals. You know, but you're a bunch of party kids, so they're going to oh, sell yeah, you this right. and uh, tell you that it's this magnificent thing. And really, it's just some chemical drugs. <laughs> that was just a way to sort of just placebo. effect. Yeah. To show like the, the party culture, you know, it's like the like it would have sped them up. It would have given them this quick high and it would have and then it would have fried a lot of their uh, cybernetic uh, infrastructure anyway. So, oh, oh. Well, Damon coming in clutch with the group. <laughs> yeah, I guess he does help them out. <laughs> yeah. He's always a good he's always a good ally at first. He's always good at first. And then it just never works out. So but you'll see as the book progresses. But you know, that cult of personality, you know, he just he brings forward this person that seems so great. And then when everything seems so great, like there probably is a reason why it's, you know, too good to be true. 
with him, there's definitely that aspect. And with the uh, bar, as far as like the cybernetic vampires, I just assumed like if you're learning about these other cultures and you're learning like I live in Lorev and we have technology and we hear about Malkozeans and when we fought them, they had these powers or the the Cratasians use the the armor that they played into themselves or screw into their bodies. And if you hear about these, you know, creatures, if something seems exotic or exciting to you, there's always going to be some type of culture that like revels in the the cool factor of that exotic culture. So that was sort of my idea with this is that if people found out about these vampires and what they could do, there's definitely a segment of young party goers who would try and like revel in the cool factor of that, that culture. So. Oh yeah, for sure. That definitely makes sense. I can't wait for like the one day lineup. Maybe it's book three or just another one in Lorev or somewhere else where you're going to have quote unquote like a natural vampire from Moncroy and then one of these like cyber vampires (laughs) and just the shock and awe from like a natural vampire just being like, you poser. Yeah, like why? Why did you do that? I would just love to see that interaction down the line. Yeah. But yeah, Damon's ranks are being bolstered pretty quickly when he has Nathan and Dorian follow suit with him. Yeah, because he he ends up forcing Hunter to get the, is it nanites in his blood? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that would be so shocking. Like their friend has this like weird like fit and this stranger comes in their alley and like messes up everything and they get in this little fight. So obviously it wouldn't have been nearly as compelling if Hunter then didn't see all the potential and be like oh my god like we're connected to the internet i have all this power now so he definitely like led the way for the other two to join into it so now there's four people we know of because there's aaron from the section last time that damon has converted so he's slowly like making ground with his little army of people i guess (laughs) we can call it an army i feel like an entourage kind of underplays the grand scheme of it all no, definitely not. It's like a, what do we call it? A collective, I yeah, think is what it's in. The the, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then the, the big reveal, I feel like, was that Nathan is Gerald's son mm-hmm. for this yes. section. That was shocking to me. So like when he was started converting them, same with Aaron, like Aaron got converted, it seemed like because of his location and his job and Damon needed him for his position. Whereas I thought the same was happening with Nathan because it seemed like they had access to this technology and he thought maybe it would be beneficial to have people who were good at like either acquiring or making these different kinds of technologies. But it seems more like he picked Nathan to get to Gerald. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Very Uh, much a leverage moment. Yeah. So Gerald, he's the one who was interviewed in that newspaper article, correct? Yep. Okay. So, yeah. So he like helped found Ergo and then was friends with Johan. So he's part of the original generation of technology leaders, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, I was not expecting Nathan to be his son at all. As soon as you explain their dynamic, Nathan's his kind of like unwanted son that was like outside of marriage and it ruined his his other marriage. And then like they've just had this like really fractured father-son relationship. I it definitely makes sense. Yeah. With their two personalities, um, because I didn't really see how the two of them (laughs) connected very well. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's the he's the spoiled rich kid. His dad has all this money and his dad can't build a real relationship. So he does it through money and gifting and all the things a salesman might do when they don't have that connection. So their connection never came to truly to truly work. It was kind of a fun thing to write. It was definitely like emotionally 
sad because like as you create these characters they feel real and so i started like you know writing these characters and you get into their mindset you get into their headspace and it starts to be just really sad when i'm getting into nathan's headspace or i'm getting into gerald's headspace and like not being able to have these characters really connect or come together but yeah it was it was tough to write but it was also really a fun way to like stretch my my legs as an author yeah because i think in malcose everyone had like really good parent child relationships yeah. yeah so to have one that's very strained is is such an opposite and we haven't seen i mean obviously nathan like immediately betrays him but we haven't really seen like the inner workings of their strained relationship so much yet so in that chapter like gerald's at home it seems like he lives kind of in an isolated area like out by himself a little bit so when nathan shows up he's like that's really weird but it seems like nathan had come in the past to talk about like business relationships or like ideas or just ask straight up ask for money yeah. so i'm assuming when he knocked on the door it was kind of like a, oh here we go again feeling <laughs> yeah yeah nathan nathan's been the victim of a lot of mlms so <laughs> <laughs> oh no and his dad is giving hey, him money man, for a lot of those to the new vampire part yeah. <laughs> yeah so he's you know he's done it all he's sold you know every every different what were the leggings Lularoe, he's you know probably sold those he's done it all so <laughs> oh yeah the leggings the shakes the uh, pre workout yeah oh yeah yeah the he's makeup. done it all <laughs> Tupperware <laughs> yeah, oh yeah Tupperware parties for sure oh my gosh <laughs> that's so good yeah so of course he like says he has another business venture um which I'm sure from his dad's perspective is just like all right here we go another stupid thing yeah. And then it, it seemed so sneaky because obviously Nathan then was like talking about Damon and then they turn around and he's in their house already, which which like terrifying, terrifying and not cool. Yeah. Gerald kind of takes that in stride pretty well for like a moment. It's like a disturbing way to have somebody come into your house. Yeah. yeah. I don't like that at all. Yeah. The thing with Damon now is he doesn't have full control over people. So everything is about ladder climbing. And that's why he wanted Nathan is he doesn't know where Gerald is. So it gives him that access of like, here's how I get to Gerald. Here's how I find Gerald. I can because Nathan's easy to manipulate. He's a young, idealistic kid with no real purpose. And so it's easy for mm -hmm. him to shape this kid to say, like, look at this collective that we can build. And it gives him this purpose, you know. Uh, and then he can use that, you know, as leverage against Gerald. And that was sort of the idea is he's climbing these ladders until he can finally get to a point where he doesn't have these like governors on his programming. And then he will, you know, fully control people. But yeah, that was sort of my idea with Nathan is, you know, this idealistic, purposeless rich kid and the father who's done all this great stuff, but maybe wasn't the best family man and how somebody with the presence and the charisma that Damon has, how he can really get between those two and play them against each other. Yeah. It's really smart manipulating for sure. And the way that they want Gerald to be their puppet and their face to the public is really smart because he's a face that people recognize. Like it seems like Damon's equally charismatic and persuasive, but I think to pick someone who people already know and trust and like already have because he helped develop like the merge and everything, right? So like they have all of his technology in their home. So it'd be like using, uh, it's not Steve Jobs, who's the other guy who helped? Wozniak. Yeah, I feel like it'd be like using somebody like that, sending out public messages. Like yeah. people are going to trust it because everybody has an Apple product already. Yeah. So it's not like a big step for people to go, oh, okay. Like I already have the the iPhone. I'll just add the 
whatever to my <laughs> repertoire. Um, yeah. Right. So by using Gerald as like the poster child and like instill the confidence in the community and right, because like Damon could definitely do that himself, but he just I think took a lot of work out of the whole process by picking someone who's already set up to do that. So that's their plan for him. So it sucks because I feel like Nathan doesn't think he's getting used, but he definitely is. Oh, yeah. And then Gerald's obviously really getting used and is very upset about it. So the kind of two of them being manipulated but feeling differently about it, I think is going to be a good dynamic to be happening underneath Damon. It seems like they just kind of sneakily got the nanites into him. I don't really... Yeah, that was so subtle. That was not expected like they just handed him the device and then he like ran his thumb over it and like that's all that it took so now he's part of their collective too yeah i thought it was going to be a lot more violent or graphic kind of way the first time it was around for nathan where or for aaron who, yeah like yeah. put up a big fight yeah i thought like each time it was gonna require kind of a test of wills and like a full physical confrontation instead it was like all right, here's your flash pass. You're part of the club. <laughs> Before he even gets a chance to argue against it, though, it's not like he protested and then they were like, fine, we'll force you into it. Like, it had already happened before he even realized, which yeah. is very scary. <laughs> the fact that he can quickly yeah. do that to people, like, so fast. Yeah, it's crazy that Gerald has kind of already been conscripted without a fight. So they kind of told him... I give Damon credit because I think sometimes it's a bad villain trope to reveal your plan, hoping that whoever they're trying to persuade is going to join the cause, but it's already like, He doesn't right. have a choice to join the cause, though. Yeah, it's already like, you're in it. It's happening. We just wanted to at least let you know. Yeah. This is now your role. <laughs> that stinks. So good on Damon's part because, you know, he's getting what he needs accomplished. Yeah, he's definitely moving fast. And it seems like I know we were talking about in the first episode how the nanites can like calm you and do different things. And I think we saw that here where Nathan was like calm and confident and persuasive and not like his usual self. So I'm wondering how much they're going to be able to like sway Gerald using that kind of emotional manipulation with the nanites, but then also outward manipulation from from themselves as well. Oh, like from Gerald to the public. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know how that's going to go, but it it seems like they're kind of like snowballing with how quickly they're moving. Like, it's just going to go faster and faster and faster and get bigger and bigger and bigger really quickly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like the multiplication factor. Like an MLM. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, so that's, I think, all we saw of Damon in these sections. Yeah. We had one more chapter with Nathan at the end, but then we go back to Conan, Jared, and Gilman for like the, the mid-sections. And they're moving pretty quickly, too. So yeah. they have all kind of joined up into a team. I think they're still all a little skeptical of each other, especially Kana and Jared. But there's also <laughs> like a potential romance happening between the two of them that might amount to something by the end. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. And then Gilman's just there eating snacks all along the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gilman is snack happy. <laughs> yes, yes. A lot of crumbly granola bars in the car that should not be eaten. So. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> do your kids just eat crumbly granola bars in your car? Is this where it's coming from? I mean, I do it. So, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. fair. I've, I've got Gilman in me. No, my car is covered in goldfish uh, remains, for sure. There's a lot of goldfish corpses <laughs> in my <laughs> mid-row of seats. The Nature Valley Graveyard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
they, I mean, those things like they procreate. Like you, you're like, I didn't give them goldfish. Why are there goldfish everywhere? It's just, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a thing. It's hard. Yeah. I, since I like work outside on bad weather days, we all eat lunch in our cars and there's definitely just like crumbs. And obviously I'm outside a lot. So there's like a layer of dirt over everything and then just a <laughs> layer of crumbs over the dirt and then like more dirt sandwiching it in. So my car's always a mess. Oh yeah. I always, I mean, I, I pick my car up, but I have, I just, I eat in my car all the time. So there's always stuff everywhere. So I was thinking Jared's this guy who has this car that he's put all this work into and it's all nice and you know, slicked out and remade or whatever. And then, you know, his goofy buddy just sits in the front seat, just, you know, munching on crackers, getting stuff everywhere. You know, I figured that'd be something (laughs) that they would find very frustrating. Oh, yeah. I could definitely see it happening. And I hope that it doesn't happen. But for for Jared, it seems like his car, because it seems to be his prized possession, even though they do collect all that other tech stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. I can definitely see it being in like a car chase scene in the book somewhere. Maybe, maybe maybe crashing. I don't know. I would feel really bad, but I could see that being an end result for his. I don't think he loses the car. I don't think he does, but okay. it's been a little while. So I'll have to double check that. But there is a chase scene <laughs> and the chase scene was a lot of fun to write. I definitely had good music to listen to during that. Oh, sweet. Nice. Yeah, I mean, a car chase scene is like classic for any kind of treasure hunt or action book. I love like the James Bond car chase scenes. Like those are always my favorite in those movies. So I definitely appreciate that when we get to that point. Um, So yeah, they have their car and Kana has her motorcycle. So they're like all really cool. (laughs) Everyone's got their sweet rides cruising. (laughs) And they end up going to her house, which is like, again, it seems a little more isolated. She seems like she lives in a nicer part of town. They definitely live in like the most densely packed and kind of poor part of the city. And she is just obviously for money because her her grandpa like was part of the founder. So yeah, she just has like, seems like unlimited resources. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's a great person to have on your team. They tar- start talking about where they're going to find the first merge. And I think it's Gilman brings it up that it might be in the collection of this famous collector, Sanzo. Sanzo links. They figure that they're gonna go talk to him, and obviously because, like I said, Kana has unlimited resources. She knows him personally <laughs> and just calls him up, and they get in tomorrow. And this is where we go. I know you mentioned it before, but they go to the like resort mini intercontinent that's like above, and I yeah. loved it. It was so cool. Wow, thank you. Yeah, I figured that would make sense. If there's all these little floating ones around that are like. Laura Rev's closer. They're like, well, we're going to own this one here and we're going to make it a resort because, I mean, why not? It's like an island. Yeah. yeah. Resorts are on <laughs> islands. <laughs> and it just seems fun where I think as of right now, what we know of these intercontinents, so many of them are such broad sweeping landscapes. It's kind of cool to see areas that may have like chunked off and like what their purpose is. So it's it just adds to the... Um, diversity of the landscape and it's just i think that was a really creative addition to the world that you're building oh and speaking of chunked off there's like definitely some background information yeah, with how yeah. the uh intercontinents may have all been stuck together at one point they're talking to the uh cab driver is it mm-hmm. i wrote is, is it mizun yeah because they were both from like the same area growing yeah up. his grandma was from the same place that jared and gilman were from so um, at one point, I'm so excited to see if this comes up as like a lore story or just 
it'll just remain a mystery of the past that whatever (laughs) sorry it was not mizun it's mazir m-e-z-i-r-e i I knew my notes auto correct sometimes all right we're gonna definitely just edit that later that's fine the other name you gave that'll be like a sibling that i'll use in another book so his long lost twin (laughs) classic mizun i don't know why it auto corrected to that because that's obviously not a real word no i texted someone happy birthday and it texted them happy burger yesterday so I would like a happy burger. <laughs> like how? But well, autocorrect. I feel like sometimes there's like a guy behind the scenes that's just like pranking people. Like, oh yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Burger and birthday are not close. Happy burger. Thanks. You too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Mizun slash Mizun Mizir. His grandmother Mizir Mizir. <laughs> His grandmother was mentioning volcano that was once a pyramid. That's a really cool concept. That's a great idea. I love that. I love that. Especially because like there are full cities that easily get buried like down in Central America and stuff like jungle just grows like right up and over. So I haven't been but like some of my friends have done archaeological work there and they're literally on what looks like a hill and as you start excavating it out, it's a huge pyramid or building like right underneath you. That is so cool. It's so cool. I want to go so bad. <laughs> Basically, just like the jungle grows so quickly and the like biodegradation of like the leaves that fall and make soil just happens so quick down there that mm-hmm. it just whoosh, right over whole cities. Um, yeah. So I could totally see that happening. And I don't know how it would become a volcano, but that would be really cool if there was like some kind of like they built the pyramid around a power source or some kind of geothermal geo thing. Yeah, yeah. that would be awesome. Yeah. So yeah, that was, I think that's not going to be important to the story, but it definitely built like the whole world. And I know you talked about them being all connected in the past. So I liked that it was mentioned. Yeah, I liked that there was like a Pangea situation with the intercontinents. Yeah, yeah, it was a fun little way to world build. And then also, um, it helps me set like future adventures that I can go back to. So like, I could always do something where, you know, Jared Gilman and Kana go to Darun and look for these pieces of this lost history or you know have this backstory so yeah it just leaves me future things that i can play around with that would be great as like because their story here is obviously like a treasure hunt so to have another treasure hunt style would be really cool for them yeah i feel like they're just built for that those type of stories like they're built for treasure hunt stories like they're a trio of odd people they're mashed together and you know there's lots of banter so they hunt for treasure yeah and everybody's (laughs) got like a different skill Kana's got like all her connections, but she's also a badass fighter. And then Jared knows so much. Jared and Gilman know a lot about like technology. Gilman so does, knows so much about snacks. So you got every. <laughs> you need that. Every character you need. Yeah, they're a fun trio. Yeah, and like all the snacks he was eating, I think at one point he was talking about certain ones being from Malcose and like different places around. So it was just a good way to be like. He was taking full advantage of these like luxury <laughs> snacks, imported snacks that were on the the like ferry ship to the resort. the resort town stuff that he wouldn't normally be able to eat. But he was just like loading his pockets <laughs> up with them with free food. Yeah, <laughs> with yeah. free food. Yeah, and we all is, know that one person. Yeah, so. there's always one, and it's it's even funnier when it's someone who's not used to the luxuries and they're surrounded by like fancy people who don't care about 
the presence of those snacks at all. And he's like, oh my God, they're not going to take advantage of this. And just like shoves his pockets full. And um, <laughs> it reminds me of like when you take all your secret candy into the movie theater and you're not supposed to, and you like hide it in every yeah. possible pocket you have. So you don't pay $50 for snacks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his personality is very relatable in those moments sometimes. But speaking of, Oh my god, I'm going to keep calling him Mizun. That's not his name. That's fine. <laughs> Mizir. Mizir. Jeez. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not sure if they're going to meet up with him, but they did make a plan to get a drink with him later. So I don't know if he'll end up joining their crew and being like the getaway car driver because he was their taxi driver. Uh, but I would. I I had actually I thought that about that. That is a fun prediction. <sighs> I thought about that, but it may not come to fruition. But I I will probably have him come back into the fold in in future adventures because i like his character yeah yeah he seemed very cool Mazir uh, with the sweet wheels <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he he definitely had like more information about their home intercontinent so if you do another one where they go to look for that pyramid or like go to that place he would definitely be a useful at least contact point for them to have yeah but yeah they end up getting to the resort town and meeting Sanzo. With Sanzo. I do not trust Sanzo. Me either. <laughs> too helpful. Too agreeable. He pulls a gun on them at one point. I know. Which was like, he got a devil's advocate in any situation. And he clearly showed through his actions that he is very much in Kana's corner. Well, yeah. Her grandfather's the one who set him up with holding onto the merge for her. So I understand yeah. why he's really protective of her. But it does seem, I don't know. Like, I get that he was told not to tell her about the merge until she asked, which is just following instructions. But I'm skeptical of the fact that he didn't say anything to her ever. Yeah. It's kind of like, I have an oracle for your destiny. Why didn't you ask? Like, how would I know? Yeah, so I, I get it, but it, I don't know. It makes me feel a little skeptical of his character. And then the fact that he's sending them to the outskirts without going with them mm. seems slightly sketchy. sketchy. <laughs> so I don't okay. know if he's sending them to a, a trap. My prediction was that he's basically knows about the diffuser sphere and wants them to basically go and get all the parts so he's setting them up for success, and then he'll swoop in at the last minute and try to steal the prize. Wow. Your Tamagotchi's mine. <laughs> wow. That's a cool, cool idea and a good prediction. I just, that's interesting. But mm. I, I don't want to comment now on it. Now I feel like I'm not right. It's <laughs> <laughs> fine. Like, it's cool. I just indicative. Like I said, I need to have you guys beta read because you have all these cool ideas, so. I think it's probably happened in like plenty of movies though, where like the person you're working for who you think is good then ends up yeah. being a bad guy. So yeah, they hit that switch on the door, and you're like, "Why? Why are you doing this?" And they're like, "Cause I want the treasure." And the door like shuts on them, and they like run off or whatever with the bolt. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. They give you high my regards, and like the kill switch goes down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so maybe he has a different role to play. Right. It's not like he had any language that would have suggested like an ulterior motive. It just no, he was just set up in a good position to do that. Yeah, and since he already is very wealthy, I could definitely see him being like he's like a collector, like wanting to accumulate more wealth and accumulate like a very powerful set of things to add to his collection. I got my eye on you, Sanzo. <laughs> Either that or he'll just be like the person who has all the gadgets and tech that they need. And uh, definitely I definitely like a cue. Yeah, in, uh, maybe I James misread Bond. him. <laughs> so he could be helpful. 
but I was skeptical. I don't really know why. He was super nice to them and gave them exactly what they asked for. (laughs) It's okay. It's fun to mistrust in the treasure hunt, so it's all good. I don't know, because they like made... Con and Jared and Gilman made their alliance, but they all seemed to be a little nervous about it at first, so I was like, they shouldn't trust anyone. (laughs) And that was just kind of my... (laughs) <laughs> my perspective on it well also the first one the first one was a little easy too yeah yeah i think so so they're on a mission uh, i mean they're continually on a mission they're but... going to be on a mission so he's going to send them to the out- eastern outskirts the next day i think and he's not going with them like i said so they're just hanging out at his resort he's calling it his balcony they're hanging on the balcony but it's got a pool and it's huge and <laughs> The villa. It's very fancy, so our, uh, two of our characters definitely don't fit into that social <laughs> bracket, but they're. I think Jared and Gilman are enjoying it, to say the least. Well, if Connor can, like, unplug, I think she'd be good. She's always kind of on a mission and keeping busy, so. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the thing that is going to lead them all to the next step is the fact that they're heading to the eastern outskirts, and now... In the last chapter of this section, we find that Nathan is also going to the eastern outskirts. So our yes. two two sides of the treasure hunt teams are like colliding there. Is the eastern outskirts where the uh, personal station was found? No, that was in the uh, the snowy region. The eastern outskirts are desert. Oh, they're desert. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and the first one was found in the snow. Because yeah, the eastern outskirts are all desert. It's where like all the um, the criminals and refugees and people who don't really have anywhere to go end up going so that they just have like a spot. Oh yeah. I remember you saying that. Oh, the, okay. I got it here. So it's in the West outskirts, uncovered non-civic region is where they found the personal station. Yeah. So so they're not going back to the same spot. Yeah. So sort of, they're all kind of spread around. So yeah, the Western outskirts has one, the Eastern outskirts has another, and then obviously there will be, other things hidden, but, you know, I don't want to give that away. So are the, if they're non-governed and they're non, like, cities, is the technology there a little bit different? Because I think Nathan said something about not having contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they don't have, because um, the way that it works for them, similar to how we have satellites, like the sphere ceilings are used for their internet. Because mm-hmm. before it was all kind oh. of like, you know, wiring and stuff. And then they figured out, oh, well, if we can use the sphere ceilings, you know, we can put our internet in the sphere ceilings and that way people can just have reception wherever they go. And so that's why the personal station wasn't needed anymore. Because originally that was like a little satellite that would just hover around you and give you like all this connection, but it was private. Like you didn't, nobody could monitor it, you know, which is one thing that's nice. But with the other one, it's like, you know, obviously it's a little more monitored. But if you're outside of that, if you're in the eastern outskirts or, um, the western outskirts, you're only going to have those signals if you have like something attached. Like if you had your own type of signal booster on your vehicle or in a your house or something like that, you have to have your own kind of satellite that can pick up that general signal. Uh, otherwise, yeah, it's, okay. it's no man's land. So it's um, and then the area they go to is like a resort that was just left to die because they tried to build it and it didn't work. And so like all these different like gangs have kind of come and taken it over and use it as a little pop-up city oh cool cool. that'll be really cool so i think going there is going to be neat because like nathan won't be connected to damon so he'll be kind of out on his own and fighting con and jared and gilman i'm assuming that the 
nanites will still work and give him enhanced physical abilities, even though he doesn't have connections connections to the network. To the network. Yeah. Um, so oh, yeah. he'll still be like a good, formidable enemy there for them, even though he can't talk to Damon. I wonder if he's gonna have like a moment of clarity too, if he still has the nanites but is not connected. And he's like, wait a minute, like what am I actually doing? Like if he's no longer being as persuaded oh, by the nanites, that would be interesting. Or it's like signal loss and like his full conscience is coming forward uninhibited. <sighs> that would be neat because then, I mean, he could either just abort the mission or he could try to get the merge for himself. Yeah, um, so we'll have to see. I mean, it seems like he's pretty happy to be on Damon's team for now, so I'm sure he's just gonna go and do what he's told and deliver it if he gets it to Damon, but... A loyal henchman through and through. <laughs> yeah, he definitely seems like one. Well, if he didn't ever have any, like, purpose before, and his own dad and him didn't have a good relationship, I can see him really taking to Damon and, and just being like, you're my new dad, and and just going along with whatever he says. Yeah. That might be his downfall, though, of, like, being too trusting of Damon. Yeah, not to a fault. Yeah. Um. So he ended up getting... I kind of jumped ahead, but he... It seemed like he went to jared and gill's store and was like poking around and like rummaging through it because he steals that like collectible falcon kid figurine and realizes that the personal station is not there uh it seems like they're also kind of tracking when they turn it on because he said it had been turned on there so that's what led him to go to the store and then he said it got turned on again at the like the place where they are with sanzo he's getting coordinates yeah he's following them around so um it's like perfect because it's like just like he's like one step behind them but now they're all heading towards the same destination so like that's going to be the first encounter of everybody and that's always really fun in a treasure hunt kind of story so oh yeah there's a big issue though that jared was mentioning to kana was oh yeah that they tried linking a personal station already to a different merge and yeah. now he's worried it won't link to the merge that they need it to link to yeah it's a it's a possibility I yeah, love her being like, why did you not mention this? <laughs> right? Yeah. So she was really mad about the fact he didn't say anything sooner, which he should have definitely been upfront about that. Mm. Unless, I mean, unless he only just realized it. But yeah, that's definitely like a gamble for them. The fact that they think they were supposed to find the merge and then the personal station and, and put them together and they found stuff out of order and how that might mess things up for them. So hopefully Jared and Gilman can do some good computer programming and tech workarounds and and make it work but the fact that that might not actually come through yeah. for them is definitely a challenge oh so. for sure because i don't think it'll be as simple as like network settings forget this network <laughs> like, <laughs> just like reconnecting to a new bluetooth item yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems like a, it's a lot grander scale where it's like you are linked to this one machine it's part of the puzzle uh man i know stressful i don't know what they're gonna do then though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping it works out yeah all will be revealed in 270 some pages perfect <laughs> yeah. conflict will be resolved that, that's good <laughs> so it seems like they're they're all on track right now i think once they get the merge and the personal station together, that's supposed to tell them where the next item is, or did the two of them together create the next item? Uh, tell them where the next item is. Okay, so there's a third one, and then is the diffuser sphere also a fourth item? 
It's a separate item, yeah. So basically, the three of them lead you to the the diffuser sphere and help you unlock and get it going. Okay. And so they're all like keys and navigation. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So they've yeah. got one out of four, basically. So they've they've got a good ways to go. And I think we finally learned what the diffuser sphere does, which is deconstruct and reconstruct technologies. Mm-hmm. So it's not only useful to Damon, but I think it would be useful everywhere to anyone, especially like these big tech giant companies like Ergo. Yeah. It would just make them even more and more influential and powerful. So yeah. there seems like whoever ends up discovering it, there's going to be like a bunch of people who then want it for themselves. So not only like finding it, but then I could see a bunch of people trying to like power grab it right at the last minute too. So, Oh yeah. It's definitely a dangerous game. Yeah, it's a dangerous prize in a dangerous game. <laughs> <laughs> and my thought was like, I was trying to think of something that would be like of substantial value. I thought about Damon and uh, his character and the uh, the governor programming on him and him being cybernetic. And so obviously, like I started thinking about, you know, what device could, could fix those ailments. And I was like, oh, what if you had a device that if you had a car that you wanted to repair, like it could raise the car up. It could like take it apart. Like, you know, when you go on on websites and it like, you know, it'll show an iPhone or something and the iPhone will be like a part and then they'll like put it together as you scroll down, you know, with all the parts. Yeah. So I was like, what if you had something that did that? So it's like, you know, your your phone screen's broken and you turn this thing on and it like pulls everything apart like an accordion and then you fix that one piece and then it, or you remove that piece, just set the new one in that spot, right? You don't even have to reattach anything and then it puts it all back together for you. So I was thinking like, oh, that would be like an extremely valuable device. And then on Damon's side, like, oh, if he has the same thing with the programming, he could like pull his body apart, find the bad programming, get it out, and then just like put himself back together. That that was like my idea for the treasure is it has to be something of substantial value. Yeah, that's really useful to everyone. And I mean, definitely him on a personal level, but just like practicality is so high for something like that. It would make repairs and fixing technology and changing technology so much cheaper and faster yeah that'll give you a huge edge to whoever ends up having it at the end i don't really know what kana wants to do with it i know she obviously is just protecting it for her grandfather and to keep it out of damon's hands but i don't think she's necessarily thought about what she would do with it if she had it at the end like i think for her it's just like a, a game of don't let him have it it's very defensive and then if she succeeds in that seems like she'll have the diffuser sphere and then the power to use it yeah like what's her personal stake in all this and i know she's kind of figuring along as it goes but it'll be interesting to see how she kind of develops and like what it is she actually wants well especially because she's used to working alone too and now she's got other people with her and and i'm sure are going to influence her and make her change her mind and have to explain herself whereas usually she's just like i'm going to do my thing and be by myself yeah to have that new dynamic, I think, is going to change her course a bit. And I think it'll probably be good for her. I don't know. I'm excited to see what happens when they get to the eastern outskirts. Because I think not only was I like looking forward to them all having a showdown of like fighting over the thing, having a race towards the merge. But I forgot it was you said where that like abandoned resort town is. And I think that setting sounds exciting and cool. And I could totally see Nathan trying to convert a bunch of people there to be in his collective because he like grabbed someone his way yeah in the last chapter like someone was looking at his car and he he started to fight with them and then he was like oh well maybe i could just use some expendable 
people on my team and converted that last dude and he's going to bring him with him to the outskirts. So if he gets there, oh my God, if he gets there ahead of time and converts a bunch (laughs) of people, it could be bad. Yeah, it could be very like Wild West. Like You got to have your uplines in an MLM. (laughs) (laughs) We've joined the pyramid scheme. I mean the collective. (laughs) Yes. Join us and buy the milkshake. (laughs) (laughs) Drink the milkshake. Um, Drink and forget. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that'll be really cool. I'm excited for that. I um, think when they go to like the eastern outskirts, I'm imagining since it's like deserty, it could be very like Wild West, Mad Maxy, like abandoned, kind of dilapidated buildings, like very tumbleweed, like rolling across, and it's like a big gun showdown. Yeah. <laughs> or remember we watched that movie that was like a zombie movie in Las Vegas? Oh yeah. And oh, what's that? That sounds cool. Oh, it was awesome. Oh, it was really good. Army it was or Army of the Dead? We watched the prequel first and they were kind of Army of the Dead? Yeah. Something like that. No, Army of Thieves was the prequel. Army of the Dead was the second film. Yes. So Army of the Dead is the one that takes place in las vegas and it's a zombie movie and there's a team of people who are trying to get to a cash vault underneath the city that got left in one of the casinos and it's really good but yeah i'm picturing like how decrepit las vegas was in that because it's like you know exactly an (laughs) an abandoned resort desert how do i not hear about these cool movies this sounds so cool yeah wait batista's in it yeah it was really good the prequel i actually liked better even though it was like a totally different movie so yeah the two of them are really good yeah definitely worth a watch each of them what oh that is so cool yeah you gotta watch them yeah I they're just, on netflix uh, i just am getting my new tv delivered on uh wednesday i think and i'm gonna set up my surround sound so this will have to be one of the movies i watch oh yeah, yeah yeah oh it's a good movie for surround sound because it's like just a big zombie action-packed movie so that'd be be so good yeah definitely watch it ah so cool all right i think i would actually already went over all of my predictions because most of mine had to do with sanzo betraying people i was like convinced that was gonna happen (laughs) poor sanzo man he gets a bad rap (laughs) yeah i threw him right under the bus i was like he's too nice and too rich i must hate him He's influential. Get him. Everybody hates <laughs> YouTube collectors, like, so yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He he like except for the fact that he threatened them for just making sure they weren't betraying Kana or using her, literally was nothing but nice and helpful. So I really honed in on nothing and made a big deal about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hill we're willing to die on. <laughs> Hey, you know what? Sometimes you got to make predictions. Sometimes you got to be wrong. And that's just how the podcast goes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I had too many other predictions because I'm not really sure. Like once they get to the eastern outskirts, obviously it's clear they're all going there. Someone's going to find the merge, but I'm not sure who's going to find it first. I'm thinking Kana, Jared, and Gilman will find it first because obviously they know exactly where to go. But... It'll be neat to see Nathan like trailing them and be be tracking them to try to take it from them. I'm assuming they have the personal station with them because they I think they turned it on at one point. So he'll be able to snag everything. 
if he plays his cards right. So it's definitely a high stakes moment for him working on behalf of Damon. And then it's high stakes for them because obviously they don't want to lose all their progress. So that'll be good. But then since we don't know yet where the third part of the treasure hunt is, it's hard to make predictions about where they're going to go after that. Could be where Damon's heading because he sent Nathan out to the east and he said he had his own project. So he's either adding more to his collective or he's specifically going to another location that he might find important. I thought he maybe was working uh, with Gerald to get him uh, rolling as yeah. his like poster child for his collective. You're on in five. Four, <laughs> <three>. <laughs> Both are good predictions. Mm. Yeah, this was a quick, easy section, but I think we got a good amount of progress as far as this. I don't want to belittle it, calling it a scavenger hunt, but in my <laughs> mind, that's kind of like what I have to keep going for. And I, I'm really excited that we got some interesting world building out of like all the intercontinents within the sections. So that was really interesting and fun to read. Yeah, and I, I like the connections between the characters like Nathan and Gerald, I was not expecting. And then Kana being connected to so many people through her grandfather is really useful. So it's nice to see how kind of different relationships and emotions are going to come into play with who knows who um, and how they know each other. And I I think definitely Gerald and Nathan are going to have the most strife filled situation. So how that all plays out will be very interesting, especially how it relates to Damon's plans and whether or not they're successful or if he has dissent from within uh, and that could cause issues too. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to happen, but that's good. I like not knowing. The next section is really fun because you get obviously a a very unique location, but you do get um, a chase scene in there as well. So you get two chase scenes in in this, uh, in this book. Yay. And then, yeah, there's just a lot of like exciting stuff that happens within that. It's mostly action oriented. So this last section you guys read, it's a lot of um, world building, moving, setting the pace for the plot building out the actual, you know, uh, storyline. And this next section is like character and action. So I I think you guys will have a lot of fun with it. That sounds great. It seems it's very easy to see how this would play out as a movie. Like, you know, if you're going to find a, an artifact or a special thing or a clue that you have to go and talk to your contacts first and get like your tech and your gear organized, and then you go out on your mission and that's when the action starts happening so it it definitely feels movie-esque in that way. Yeah, very calm before the storm. Yeah, when I think about like these books and I start making things happen, I definitely visualize. It's always a visual thing for me. Like, you know, either drive or I'll close my eyes and I'll have these characters like doing their thing. And then while they're doing it, I visualize everything that's happening and then go back and put that on the page. So, you know, to me, I am, there's a movie in my head of this book. Like when I read the book, I see a movie. And so... It's cool that you guys say it feels like you're like you can see that it's it could be a movie because in my head it like is a movie. It's a lot of fun. That's exactly how it it reads. It does like, read like it's, that. It's very like actiony. I can see like uh, the scenes when they were driving towards Kana's house. You can get like I imagine like a big pan over like the landscape and seeing the city and then the kind of deserty like outskirts and like two cars whiz by and then it cuts to them in their cars talking and yeah, it just like it feels very very movie and action adventure and yeah. it's it's fun to read and i think if it ever got to become like a comic with visuals or like uh something on a screen it would be really like easy to translate it right over yeah for sure that's a dream 
especially that opening sequence with Kana. <laughs> I feel like that opening sequence with Kana was like the most badass, like James Bond meets Terminator. Reading that sequence was so visual. It was really just awesome. Yeah. So whatever happens in like this Eastern territory, I can't wait to see Kana just go like guns a blazing and just kick ass. Do yeah. you have people you would cast as your characters? Oof, that's a good one. I think, well, it's funny because Wesley Snipes is too old to be Jared now. <laughs> oh. uh, so I'd have to find someone younger that is similar. Uh, maybe, and he has to have that like jovial sense. So um, uh, well, I can't remember his name. The guy who played the oh, played the Falcon or the guy who played uh, Killmonger. He would be really cool as Jared. Um, oh yeah, those are he, great. Yeah, because he has the look, but he also seems like he could give off Michael that jovial, like goofy personality, good. which is super necessary. Oh, yeah, yeah. I feel like Connor and Gilman would be would be tougher to cast. I think for Gilman, it, it would probably be. Um, I, of course, I'm spacing on all these names. Uh, the guy who plays uh, Iron Man's friend, the guy who plays War Machine oh, after Terrence yeah. Howard. He would be really yes. good as Gilman. Oh, yeah, no, I'm trying to blink too. Yeah, I'm like drawing <laughs> these poor people. I'm like, yeah, they'd be great. Uh, you know, but yeah, I think I'm looking up his name now because now I have to know. I definitely looked up the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just giving me the cut. Uh, machine. The uh, professional mixed martial artist, former pornographic actor, and now incarcerated felon. <laughs> That's that? what we're oh, thinking God. of, right? Oh, that guy. Yeah, he's the, I think he's the one who, um, yeah, that's a, a whole other thing. He he married what's her name, and then like she had to like escape the house. It was crazy, oh, crazy oh, story. Dear. Okay, oh. yeah, Don uh, Cheadle. That's the Don one. Cheadle. That's there what we I'm go. trying to. <laughs> <laughs> Not this other terrible. Way person. off. Yeah. Nope. 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 <laughs> yeah, I think Don Cheadle would be a good Gilman. I think the guy who played Killmonger would be a good Jared. And then Kana would be a tougher one. I'd have to like really like look around for that one. That would be a tough one. Do some soul searching, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you have to. Because the very thing, dynamic. Because the thing with her is like you have to find someone who looks like they can throw a good punch. You know, it's like when you watch like yeah. uh, the Avengers movies or or any of those superhero movies. Like you know, you see like Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. She looks like she could fight. You know, you see. Um, yeah, I think is it Anya Olsen, the one who plays Scarlet Witch. You know, she looks like she can fight. Like. You know, and and so you have to and you have to find people that look like they can throw a good punch. Whereas, like for me, I didn't feel like Brie Larson looked like she could throw a good punch, and so it was hard for me to believe that she yeah. was super powerful. Whereas, if you cast like the chick who played Brienne of Tarth as, as Captain Marvel, I'd be like, oh yeah, she's got to be super powerful. She looks like oh she yeah. Could. What about the woman who played Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot? I feel like oh, she could fit. Yeah, that she role. was awesome. Yeah, she's she cool. Let's yeah. cast her. <laughs> I would definitely cast her as Kana. She looks that like physical look, and then also like yeah, she she looked like Wonder Woman. She looked like she could fight. She looked like a badass, but she also looked good in like the parts where she you know dressed up in the in the suits and was you know going around talking to Batman and all that stuff. So I feel like she would do a, a fantastic job. Yeah, because Kana's got those two different sides. That would yeah. be perfect for her. Yeah. Send her the script. All right, we'll just call her up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fun. I love doing that, like, figuring who you would cast uh, if you had 
I had to do that once in school as like a, a homework assignment for an English class. And I now every time I read a book, I always think about it because I think it's just like really fun. Yeah. But I don't know a lot of celebrities, so it's kind of hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. I think, yeah, there wasn't like a huge, it wasn't nearly as many chapters as last episode. So uh, I think we covered everything that I had written down. Other than just really enjoying the book, and I'm really excited to see these next section play out. Me too. Awesome. It's been a very good treasure hunt. And I've been reading a lot of like mystery books lately, so it, it fits kind of into the same genre of like going around and finding the clues and the pieces to the larger puzzle. So I love it. Love it. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad you guys love it. I was a little nervous because it's such a departure from what I wrote before. So I was worried like, oh, are they not going to like it? Because I had people who didn't. So. Yeah. No, I really, really? I mm-hmm. I'm not gonna place a favorite, but I really sense a large improvement in areas of writing with this book a lot, and I'm enjoying the story and the sequences a lot. I like reading all different kinds of books, so I I feel like it's hard to compare things in different genres, but they were both been really fun reads and like quick and fast paced in like a fun and enjoyable way. Uh, and obviously you haven't finished this one yet, but I've been really enjoying it so far. So I'm surprised people liked one and not the other. I think it was more of a genre preference. Yeah, I was going to say, it's either like you love your medieval fantasy style or you love your science fiction. And weirdly yeah. enough, it's like Star Wars versus Star Trek people or whatever. <laughs> like It can be a similar thing, but you have to pick your base camp and like live there. I think it's, I've noticed too, the two, the two people that were close to me that liked the fantasy book a lot and weren't as big a fans of the, the sci-fi one, just knowing them, they tended to prefer to read fantasy, but they tended to prefer to watch science fiction. Like it was like, they're like, ah, trying to follow oh. the technology in a literary sense isn't as fun for me. So it was interesting to see like that type of dynamic of like what they visually and liter, you know, what literature they enjoyed. I feel like you wrote the technology in almost a fantasy style way, though, where I don't need necessarily a full explanation of how everything works. Like, I don't need to know, like, the schematics of all the technology. It just, like, you kind of presented in a way of, like, oh, these things do this, or these two types of tech work together, like Kana's eye and her gun. And, it, like, I just kind of roll with it. I feel like I don't need to nitpick it apart. And that happened in Malcos 8, too. Like, you just presented the different types of. Uh, enchanting and then the different um, ways that they used minerals and I wasn't like I know people who really read Harry Potter like will sometimes really like pick apart the magic system or it happens a lot in fantasy but your your magic and your tech don't do so much like it's not like a cure-all fix-all kind of plot device where the characters can just like make it do anything they need it to do so I feel like I'm less concerned with the nitty-gritty of how they work and more just concerned with the overall world and they have these things and they're using them and it's it's integrated so i feel like that's why i like it because i've i have read some sci-fi that's more like into the tech part or into the science part and i i just gloss over those sections in those books yeah that, that's not real i'm like i'm here for the story i don't need to know about like your computer code or whatever so yeah, yeah i feel like it worked really well and it, it it's not distracting in any kind of way so Awesome. A loss for those people that didn't like <laughs> your book. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you. That's pretty much all I got. <laughs> all right. No worries. Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more, check us out at fantasticbookspod.com 
where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Fantastic Books Pod. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks.